welcome to Freelance Deals, a podcast for anyone who is self-employed, freelance or thinking about it. Every episode I speak to a different person from the self-employed community or a freelancer talking about their story, their experiences and getting all of their advice for you so that you can have a happier freelance time too. Freelance life is often seen as a holy grail and it's not always easy and I hope that these conversations bring comfort, support and advice to people that really need it. If you enjoy the podcast please do rate and review it and if you'd like to join me and talk more about Freelance Feels come over and have a chat on Instagram at freelance underscore feels. And now on with the episode. Welcome to Freelance Feels, a podcast for anyone who is self-employed or thinking about it. This episode, we're going transatlantic. I am talking to Boo Patterson, who's in New York while I'm over here in England. Hi, Boo. Nice to meet you. And Hi you. there. Thanks for having me. How are things? Well, they are... I'm just kind of getting my freelance business back on track in New York because I've been away for two years because of the pandemic. I got stranded in the UK. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm kind of just getting back up to speed again. It's, it, it's kind of a... You want everything to happen really quickly because you just want to be back where you were. But actually, it does take time. I've just got to give myself, you know, a few months... I want it to happen in a week, but it won't. So I've just got to come to terms with that. (laughs) We're going to delve into all of this. Why you're in New York, what you do and everything. Would you like to tell people what you do as a freelancer, all your different freelance things, and and then we can sort of jump into your freelance journey, as we like to call it. What what do you do as a freelancer, Boo? What's your... your So I'm a... I'm an illustrator, um, also a creative director. So that kind of encompasses everything from, you know, designing festival events for people, or I also do personal vintage styling and room dressing, things like that. And I've also got this uh, thing called Art Nurse, which is connected to my book, Mm -hmm. uh, Art Kit. So um, I created this kind of character, although it's essentially me, in a 1960s nurse's uniform Brilliant. Yeah, on TikTok. And so it, it went, my agent told me to do it. And I have to say, I, I really did not want to go on TikTok. <laughs> and <laughs> jump back there, really, I just yeah. didn't want to do it. And she told me that it was, it was now the place to, you know, promote yourself. So oh. I kind of created the slapstick kind of character. And the theme of the book is it connects craft and psychology. Mm-hmm. Uh, to kind of help people kind of cure themselves in a way and and it was it was a way of kind of promoting the book but also that kind of thing in general so it was 20 seconds kind of slapstick videos informing people what they could do and I wanted to make it funny anyway Mm. it got one and a half million hits (laughs) so oh my goodness so my agent was right (laughs) <laughs> and so I, I now have this character which I own the trademark for and so I'm part of the freelance business is to expand that this year. Wow. So I'm going to set up subscription boxes mm-hmm. which are a mixture, they're kind of art therapy I suppose, they've got art materials in them and they'll have therapy cards um, oh. done by another organisation you know professional therapist oh. basically. I'm going to team up with this um, they, they're a online therapy, schema therapy, which is what mm. I've undergone. Um, 
and they provide online resources and access to therapists so you don't have to you know go through the nhs or do any of that and so i'm getting them their therapist to write the cards for inside this uh these first art kind of emergency kits that i'm doing uh, as subscriptions so you would get one a month Mm -hmm. with art supplies and this every month will have a different uh problem that is kind of describes it and then it solves it a bit like my book yeah. uh, but it'll be professional therapist rather than the book was more about what I had uh, experienced and mm-hmm. how I had overcome specific things yes yeah. so the, the thinking behind it was basically I wanted a first aid kit for my brain mm. so I really made it for myself but this these subscription boxes are going to be more general uh, so while I think people can learn from what I experienced and the things that worked for me, mm-hmm. uh, I think it, it kind of goes, I'm, I'm taking it up a notch with, yeah. you know, being involved with a team of people who are professionals. I think they'll, they'll be, get, they'll, I'll, I'll get a lot more insight. Um, well, you can then sort of say, well, there's a lot more weight behind it then. You're not just saying here's what I think and what worked for me. You're saying, okay, and I've talked to these other professionals, let's team together to bring yes. stronger products. Yeah, I, I mean, I've had had 23 years of therapy because I had had such a kind of traumatic life. And I, so I've experienced lots of different types of therapy. And the only one that has ever worked permanently was schema therapy. Are you able so, to so, explain how it works? Yeah so, if you, it? yeah, so if you imagine, uh, you know, a brain made of chicken wire, mm. the chicken wire is the electrical connections you make. And they, they, that's called your schema. So if everything that you go through in life, whether it's crossing the road and then you see a car coming and you go, oh, I have to run to get away from the car or it will hit me. That becomes, once you've done that once, it becomes automatic and it, it gets laid down in your schema. So you go, next time you cross the road, you see a car coming, you just automatically run. Because, you know, in, in dangerous situations, human beings had don't, you know, don't have time to kind of think oh hold on I'll just stand here and wait till I decide whether this thing is going to hit me you know so it makes sense in a kind of survival mode mm-hmm. but unfortunately your brain also does it for everything you know so it does it for trauma it does it for you know if you have experienced an anxious childhood you're going to have that forever because it's just a kind of a, a reflex action it's an electrical connection that's been laid down mm-hmm. now while you can never get rid of your old schema it exists forever you can create new a new chicken wire brain with the different electrical connections Mm -hmm. that are um positive associations so you don't actually need to do the anxiety anymore Mm -hmm. because the the new connections become stronger than the old ones so they kind of override them so that's why it does reprogram your brain it is actually it's very interesting to go through it that um, fascinating. Yeah, I, I got it on the NHS. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and, and I um, I dread about it because, um, you know, you're just desperate to find a cure. I, I had severe depression. Mm. So I, you know, you just read everything because you want to find, you know, nothing works. So I basically, I went to the NHS and I said, you know, I've had CBT, I've had CAT, I've had all these other mm. abbreviated uh therapies but i i need schema so i had to kind of really insist on it and luckily the health board i was in at the time did it 
Um, and they, and it was quite transformative. It's it's really strange how it happens. One of you know one of the main problems with people who have had any kind of bad childhood is mm. that they don't meet their own needs. Uh-huh. And yeah. so you know they they kind of almost deliberately sabotage themselves. They don't know they're doing it, but but they do because they feel that they're not worth looking after they're not worth being looked after or eating properly or you know all these different things anyway mine was my my kind of history of deprivation kind of involved not even heating my house so one of the things that i thought was quite funny was i used to just sit working at my desk with like up to two coats on at once in the winter Two pairs of fingerless gloves, Ugg boots, yeah. a whole lot. And I just wouldn't switch the heating on unless it was kind of minus zero. And then one day after, you know, I'd been doing this chemotherapy for a few months, mm. I just suddenly got up and put the heating on and sat back down again. And I started laughing because I went, oh my God, you never do that. That's, that's how it's, it's to obviously totally working now. Wow. Because I, I felt the then bit as well. That's really nice that you sort of had that moment. Yeah, I went, oh god, I'm I'm doing it automatically. That's so funny. So yeah, things like that. I I just really began to notice that, you know, I began to meet my own needs, mm. and I didn't wait for somebody else to do it. I just did it. I used to really worry about not having the money to sort of pay for heating or mm. or fruit or things like you know very obvious things that other people wouldn't think twice about. Yeah. And, and in the end, I, I, because my schema changed, I, I began to meet my own needs. I just got the money. Mm-hmm. That was one of the needs, was, was actually keeping myself impoverished. Yeah. It's because I felt that that was all I deserved, was, was not to have uh, com- you know, comfort or security mm. of finances. So, so basically, um, yeah, it completely changed my brain. Wow. and consequently changed my life so that's why i wanted to team up with you know a a, a group this uh, secure nest group uh because they it, it's one of the only online platforms that that kind of offer it mm-hmm. so even if you don't want to sign up for a therapist because they've still got lots of online resources where you can read about it and about you know they've got little videos about about all the kind of particular ticks mm-hmm. that people who haven't had schema therapy do. So it, it's just, it, I just thought they would be the ideal people to kind of team up with. That's fantastic. And I, it's really interesting to hear of you working in that situation as well, because lots of freelancers kind of, there's often a joke goes on on Twitter, oh, has anyone put the heating on yet? But actually no. there's a lot of people who can't afford to put the heating on you know some people try and last it out don't they but as an example of how a freelancer might exist compared to someone in an office is you were actively that was sort of another part of your life was also influencing your work and your working day yeah and again but it's it's about that about you know I'm just going to work ridiculous hours Mm -hmm. and I'm just going to sit in the cold even though you know people in offices don't you know and so all your needs are not being met properly it's, I, I think it's a specific mindset mm-hmm. that you don't deserve it. Yeah. You know, that, that somehow freelancing equals suffering in a way. Yes, you're so right. It's like we're sort of like the, I spent a lot of time calling myself a penniless sitar player, which I'm sure I've raised on the podcast before. And anyone who watches yeah. Moulin Rouge will know the reference. But that idea that, you know, oh, woe is me, I'm a poor freelancer. And I've actually 
had to actively stop saying it. Yeah, and, and the thing is, aside from the self-fulfilling prophecy, like it's, it's just unpleasant. I mean, why, mm. why would you be different from anybody else? Why, why should you not have your needs met? Just was, you know, freelancing actually can mean enormous wealth and freedom. Mm. It's, it's almost like bragging rights. When, yeah. when I worked at the circus, and I used to build festival sites. You know, you have to, if you work at circus, you have to build the bloody site before you even. So you're, you're doing like 18 hour days, mm. no days off a week for six weeks. And if you would say to somebody, if you would finish early, like four hours early one night, so you'd only done 14 hours, someone else would say, oh, just the half shift, eh? Oh my goodness. And, and then you're just like, I, I eventually realized it's all Calvinism. That, it's, that mindset is particularly mm. British. It's like, ingrained Calvinism about how you shouldn't enjoy yourself, you shouldn't have pleasure, you shouldn't have comfort, just, you know, work your arse off and then you die and that's what you deserve. Especially if you are not born into privilege. Mm -hmm. So if you're working class, that's especially true, that's even more ingrained. Whereas, you know, I think you'll find if you go to public school, that is not ingrained in you. <laughs> like the, 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 the thing that's ingrained is to actually be incredibly rich uh, be better than everybody else, never suffer, you know, everybody else is just not trying hard enough, that's why they're poor. Mm -hmm. So that, it, it's, it's absolutely learned behaviour. But our, our society also rewards this kind of bragging right thing. Yeah. So I eventually ran away from the circus because I, I suddenly realised that it was full the, the circus, international circuses and, and festivals are staffed by Aussies and Scots mm -hmm. who've all got Calvinism, like, <laughs> you know, running through them like a stick of rock. And so they all subscribe to that, oh, let's get paid for eight, eight hours, but let's do 10 hours for free every day. Wow. You know, let's not demand our rights. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just absolutely ludicrous. So I just thought, you know, maybe that was the start of me you know, finding my way towards schema therapy actually was, was just not, it was refusing to be part of that setup yeah. where freelancers are just seen as kind of disposable navvies. Mm -hmm. I, I don't buy it. No, I totally relate to that as well because there's lots of times I've done work in-house and it's no, it's no particular brand that I've ever worked with. It's just sometimes this has happened where often you'll be freelancing, you'll be waiting to be given something to do or... It might be like, oh, actually, we've got this little thing that needs doing. Could you just do that quick thing for us? And you're like, mm. yeah. if there was a work experience person here, would you be giving it to them? And you're giving it to me because I'm freelance, so I'm sort of available for any old thing. But you yeah. find yourself then doing it. You think, well, I might as well, and it's no hardship. But that then can kind of sow those seeds of, yeah, like you say, feeling dispensable and feeling like someone on the sidelines of the main activity or the main well, and also it's, it's boundaries isn't it like mm. if you allow your boundaries to be traversed you're not having your needs met are you you're yeah. it, it all boils down to the same thing is that you are letting you you say oh well you know it's no hardship because you're used to being taken advantage of mm. you're used to not having your needs met you're used to not going home on time and you think, oh, well, maybe they'll like me more. There's another, that's another big thing and not being liked. And especially women, you know, are particularly prone to that because we're socially conditioned to be liked. <laughs> so, you know, to add all that to being a freelancer and, and worrying about not having a, a gig, you, you kind of try to do everything. You're all things to all men, you know, in order to be indispensable. But actually, in the end, you're not indispensable. So... 
I think people have more respect for you ultimately if you just say no I don't do that or or just politely no you don't even have to never never apologize never explain that's what Americans say yes yeah because that's the whole thing so like, oh, I'm yeah. so sorry I can't that whole culture of saying sorry yeah, I'm sorry you know there's no sorry it's just never apologize never explain you just say no mm. and actually that's one of the chapters in my book is like how to say no to people mm. You don't have to be cringing about it. You can be, you can say it with a smile. Um, there are other, you know, ways to, to be polite about it, but definitely do not say sorry because they have asked you, they're the one out who, who's out of order. They're asking you mm-hmm. to do something extra. They should be apologizing. Yeah. But you are- British freelancers listening right now like getting heart palpitations and loads of American listeners hopefully going yeah, shouting at them. <laughs> yeah, of course. Why, why would we do anything yeah. else but say no, I'm not doing that extra thing for no money? <laughs> yeah, because because you know cash is king in America. So it's mm-hmm. it's about if you want me to do that, you pay for it. Yeah. And and also you know everyone's heavily unionized. So even freelancers are heavily unionized here. Mm-hmm. So you know if it's not in my pay grade then I don't do it. Yeah. So you know, while, you know, a lot of people kind of slag that off because it, it can be quite bureaucratic. Mm. On the other hand, it does protect a lot of people's rights and it, it does stop people being exploited. So, yeah, I'm, I'm now all about what is it for me? What's in this for me? And it's not selfish. It's not arrogant. It's not narcissistic. It's a way of surviving. Mm. It's, if you don't meet your own needs, you can't meet other people's. You end up bitter and resentful. Yeah. And you end up burned out and you end up just angry all the time and that is no way to live your life it's funny I hadn't actually made the connection with freelancing and schema therapy and all this kind of thing I do but actually it is integral to freelance Mm. life because Mm. people are routinely taken advantage of but it's like that Eleanor Roosevelt saying that no one can make you feel inferior without your consent but equally no one can make you do work you don't want to do do you know, not fulfill your needs without your consent. You are consenting to this. When you feel angry because you've been asked to do like loads of extra work and you haven't been paid, you consented to it. Mm-hmm. So, so it's like, it's a, just about drawing boundaries. And I, I do think that in our society, you know, women are trained to basically not have boundaries mm-hmm. as children. Oh, like, you know, give auntie a kiss, even though you don't want to give, you know, let the, you know creepy uncle pick you up it's just like it, it's ingrained that like we should be nice and like not upset people yeah. so you know when we become freelancers equally we we say oh it's just one little thing I'll do that extra thing for them because they asked well no I think most men would go well if you want the extra thing then it's another 50 mm-hmm. quid I'm gonna bill you like my time is literally what I sell Yes, and, and my experience is literally what I sell. So if you went to a fruit market, you wouldn't say, "Can I just have these strawberries for free?" <laughs> it would just be absolutely ridiculous. But somehow in freelance life, you think, "Oh, just this thing." I, I think it's the people pleasing thing mm-hmm. as well about about and always being worried about money. But again, if you meet your own needs, you stop doing that. You actually do stop worrying about money. And it's not that it's not that you don't have still have a range of emotions you know I'm not going around grinning like an idiot constantly I'm but I'm I'm I I feel secure in myself now whereas I didn't before I constantly felt anxious constantly felt on edge and now I don't that must feel really liberating yeah it feels 
it feels um it feels normal mm. and I have never felt that before I I've always felt you know like I was running running a race while holding my breath and going oh my god what is this one and then just the next gig just get the next gig and then you know everything was based on a gig and and now it's not everything's based around my life now what, what I want to do. And was moving to America part of that because you've mentioned we mentioned transatlantic at the beginning and then mm. obviously mentioned the US and stuff so you live in people will be able to tell from your accent that you're not from America but you live in New York don't you? I live in New York so I've lived here for yeah well I I first came here in 2009 I was a music manager mm. and uh, I was extremely poor I had basically um, I'd gone freelance in 2008 mm-hmm. uh, I'd doing doing music management and um, PR arts PR mm-hmm. and then I did it straight into the the, the, the Lehman Brothers crash yeah. and yeah. so that immediately to, uh, what was you know going very well immediately led to extreme poverty mm-hmm. I had nothing and had this huge mortgage that, you know, I used to be a national newspaper journalist, so I had a big wage. Mm-hmm. And, and then, I, you know, I was so poor, I had to get the National Union of Journalists to pay my mortgage wow. in the January. Mm-hmm. So, and then when they saw my bank account, they said, do you want us to pay all your other bills as well? Because you clearly don't have any money. Oh, my goodness. So, I, I, you know, indebted to, it was the journalist yeah. fund that did it. So I, I was really grateful. But then I still had no way to make money because everyone had been laid off. There were literally no work at all. Mm-hmm. Couldn't, couldn't temp, you couldn't work in a bar. It was just like, you know, everyone was unemployed. So I ended up working undercover for this professional gambler for like 50 pounds a day. And I was, I was spending like 6,000 pounds in betting shops of his money. So I was running between betting shops, trying not to be mugged. And it was really incredibly stressful. Yeah, oh my God. And also you've got to kind of, you've got to kind of pretend that, um, you know, you're not obviously running for a gambler, like you're mm-hmm. putting the bets on. So I had this whole backstory about how I was doing it for my granddad and I was a journalist. And I, you know, I wouldn't be doing, if you weren't doing it for love, what would you do it for? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm sitting in a cafe between two betting shops. I get a text. I've got to put on a bet for, you know, 400 quid, run into the betting shop, put the bet on, get it before the odds drop, mm. get back to the cafe. You've got to leave all your stuff in the cafe, your keys, everything, you know. So it's it just incredibly stressful. So I was doing that just to not even pay my mortgage. Yeah. And I was literally eating one potato a day. I was, I was starving for months and months and months. And then I was also because I was a music manager as well, I, um, my singer used to come to the cafe in between the two betting shops, my office, and uh, she was saying, you know, what are we going to do? Because there's no jazz in, in Edinburgh outside of the jazz festival, you know, don't really have a career. And so I had just written down a kind of uh, doodle that said New York with a picture frame around it. And I said, I think we need to go there because that's where all the jazz is. And she said, but we don't have any money. And I said, well, we'll just have to get some. So I took out £20,000 on 10 credit cards. Wow. And I don't know what she did, but she got some money. Yeah. And we just, two months later, came. We just, we just did it. Mm-hmm. And 
then I starved <laughs> again <laughs> and um and kind of that went on for a couple of years we'd go back and forward for months at a time mm -hmm. and then I finally got a visa right, I stopped managing her and then I finally got a visa as an artist myself mm -hmm. so um that was the kind of part where I would, was living here but I would go back and forward mm -hmm. still I would kind of do you know six to nine months here and then I would back to Britain yeah were you always doing art at that time as well were you illustrating the whole time was that something I, I, you know I did I, I did everything my whole career I've done everything all at once so <laughs> when I was a journalist I was also an artist I was a music manager I was running burlesque and cabaret clubs wow. uh, you know I was I was doing loads of things I've always done loads mm -hmm. all at once and and so it was only when I was freelance that you know that kind of took my safety net away mm. or so I thought because I wasn't meeting my needs and uh, so it was all it was all weirdly deliberate and then uh, so I came to New York starved came back as an artist didn't starve as much mm. and then this time actually it was during the end of the schema therapy mm -hmm. and during the pandemic that I just went why do I have a house in Britain when I don't want to live here mm -hmm. you know why what am I doing so I sold the house still didn't know if I could get in the country mm -hmm. I just thought I'm just gonna wing it I'm just gonna I've just got to do each step you know and not think about the bigger picture because yeah. that stops you doing everything anything so that that was when I just decided you know my whole life is here all my friends are here uh, all the work is here my agents are here my publisher is here so um it just didn't make sense and and again it was i wasn't meeting my needs i was kind of living in a a tiny village in fife you know with no work and with you know freezing cold mm. <laughs> not putting the heating on yeah. and uh, oh, and, I, and I, I just thought I, I can't live that kind of life anymore you know you only get one go at this mm. and um not getting any younger and I thought, what, am I going to wait until I'm like too, too old to carry my own cases into the country? You know, what, when am I going to do it, if not now? So I, I, I just made the decision. I told my therapist, actually, and she almost cheered oh. because she said, oh, my God, you're doing it. Like, wow. Yeah. So it was it, it's funny. I'm still, you know, I've only been here a week, back a week, and I'm mm. still kind of mentally adjusting to what I've done because, you know, selling your house and all your possessions mm. and saying goodbye to all your friends in Britain and moving somewhere permanently isn't a it's not an easy thing to do um but I get moments where I go oh my god I just I did it but I think it's going to take a few months to sink in mainly because I've got still got so much to do at this end mm -hmm. you know get my state ID which I just got I've got to you know do various other tax related things and I've got to set up the business so that it's functioning because I need to meet my needs and not be coasting. Yeah. So, so that's where I'm at at the moment. Um, oh, oh, boo, there's so, it's, it's just really, and I think that gives me so many different questions in my head, but I think the thing I'd love to ask is how it shows real resilience and that moment where you jump into freelancing, but then also you're so scared because you're like, well, what now? Shit, I've got to do this all for myself now, but you're excited because you're not thinking, what if I did it? What if I moved to New York? What if I tried to write a book? What if I tried to set up something else to do with, with what if I did the TikTok? 
all those things are like a leap, aren't they? But scary yeah. at the same time. And I mean, I guess I'm, do I'm doing them anyway mm. because I, I was already doing those strands. Yes. But I think what I wasn't doing was making money from them. <laughs> so, um, and because it wasn't a priority in my head, it was just, it was almost like I had all these great ideas and I knew they were great ideas because I'm a creative director. So I get paid to do, to come up with ideas for people. Yeah. And so I knew they were good, but it was almost like when it came to making, turning them into money, mm -hmm. I would just, that was, that was the least priority for me. Mm -hmm. That was the least important part. It, it just seemed like, I've got this great idea, I'm just going to do it. And then it'll just be free. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it just, it just, I just won't make any money from it. And that's my plan. And it was, it, it was bizarre because, you know, when I advise other people in a professional capacity, mm. I would come up with, you know, the whole budget. I would come up with, this is what it's going to cost. This is how much we're going to make. Um, this is how many people I, you know, would imagine we get it. Here are the demographics of the people who would be interested in this. And here's the size of the market. But when it came to me, I didn't do that at all. I just, I just somehow left it out. And it, it again, we go back to the self-sabotage. Yeah. Um, I just didn't feel I was important enough. But I, it wasn't conscious, you know, it's completely, it is one of those things that you, you're just living your life. You're not deliberate going, oh, I must sabotage myself today by not making money. In your head, you're desperate for money. You know, in my head, I was going, oh God, if only I could get another gig, you know. But it, it was never based on, look, I have X amount of skills, mm -hmm. I need to sell them to an, a third party or I need to be a self-starter and, you know, do it myself, you know, it, like the subscription boxes, for example. Yeah. Um, and I just, I just always left that bit out. It was, it, I, I now, again, because I'm kind of cured, I now see that as utterly bizarre. <laughs> but, but at the time it made sense. It was just like, I just don't know why I can't make any money. Yeah. It's funny isn't it and you sort of there's a lot of people that often do say they're setting up workshops and that kind of thing they'll sometimes do oh I'll do I'll do three for free and drum up interest and I yeah. felt and this again I feel like you normally like you said before like oh yeah I'll do a few for free because you know I want to see what people think mm. and I do have the same I think no they need to pay no. something to attend a workshop because otherwise where do when do you begin if you don't also, when do you begin charging you know also if you're a professional you you're not you're not practicing when you set up a workshop like you yeah. are a professional person who knows what they're doing yeah just because it's your first one doesn't mean that you're not still a professional it's almost like you know well it's my first one so i'm going to be a bit crap you know you just like assume you're going to you know it's not really worth paying for it. and it's it's all about you thinking you're not good enough mm. ultimately well, and and so, and again, it's kind of a woman thing as well about, you know, who would want to hear from me? I mean, ultimately I should really just do it for free. And then once people like me, then they'll pay. Yeah. And it's, it's more about liking than about professional ability. And that's just not the case at all. Like women are as competent, if not more than, you know, what's that great phrase about, you know, give me the confidence of a mediocre white man. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, God grant me the confidence of a mediocre white man. And it's, it, I, I kind of think of that. I thought, what would a mediocre white man do? He would just be super confident and go, well, of course I'm going to charge £5,000 for this course. Yeah, I love that. That's I what they do. Because they, in, their, in society, men are the little princes and women are seen as, like, you know, uh, you know nice to have. I'm listening on feeling put out by our, our talk here, but I guess no, I, it's not. I, I'm not. No, it's, it's not a man not bash. It's just. It's just. The, this is true of society. Mm -hmm. That um, women are seen as not as serious. I mean, there's millions of studies about this kind of thing, where you know, even things like the Alexa voice, uh, people like it being a woman because it's subservient. Mm -hmm. They've done studies on it. Wow. See women as subservient. And, and actually the Alexa machine gets asked loads of sexual questions by men. I'm open mouth. I'll suddenly realise nobody can... Alexa, <laughs> would you give me a, an ex? Oh my God. Alexa, what do you look like naked? Like that, that's an actual phenomenon in society. I because it's a female voice. And they're, you know, so of course male freelancers have just as many problems they might not be the same, but I can only speak as myself, as a woman in society, who, you know, not only has to deal with kind of daily sexual harassment on the street, so that, which is incredibly wearing, mm. but, you know, sexual harassment in the workplace. I mean, that's why I became freelance ultimately in the end, because I was just groped and sexually harassed for my entire journalistic career. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, I mean, just like horrific, like horrific stuff, like proper serious sexual assault which people would go to jail for now but in the 90s it was like oh it's just time and a while yeah. you know so yeah. it's a hard gig being yeah. freelance and it's an even harder gig if you're a woman mm -hmm. yeah. because we've got all the societal expectations of who we are we should just be nurturers we shouldn't be doing shouldn't really be freelance you know all that is subconscious and so this again we go back to meeting your own needs because if you don't do it literally no one else will and i now i now feel kind of militant about it because it upsets me to see so many people women in particular not prioritizing themselves because they think it's selfish or narcissistic or and it's none of those things you don't have limitless energy so it's really that that i kind of wanted to get across with the book yeah very much so and i was going to say that kind of ties into self care i wanted to ask you about the book and and the idea of it as a, a kind of a tool and, and, and using art and creativity to help us with mental health and sort of mm -hmm. find some answers and would you sort of say when people talk about self-care as a freelancer it's kind of it is often and I do this as well you know I, I always put you know I'm having a bubble bath and that's part of my self-care but long walks or yoga but people often don't don't sort of think oh I should perhaps turn to something more practical rather than well, the thing is about bubble baths and, and the, thing is, the thing is about bubble bath and walks is that it doesn't stop you ruminating exactly. and and doing things with your that require immense concentration and actually yoga might be one I don't do that but I I believe it does require concentration yes. and also especially things that you do with your hands um, allow you to enter a flow state which is a state where you don't notice time passing and it allows your brain to kind of relax children are in that state frequently because they're they play and you know during play they they enter that state but adults hardly are ever in flow state because they don't play anymore mm. they drink instead they self-medicate they take drugs uh, and so they think that that is how they relax mm. 
it's not really it's just a kind of a diversion and don't get me wrong I'm a drinker mm-hmm. uh, it's it's that I don't use drinking to relax really that's yeah. not my reason for do I have other ways to do that now doing craft and art and things it allows you not only the flow state which is just a blessed relief to be honest but it also um gives you a sense of mastery even if you're crap at it like <laughs> nobody needs to be good at art and there is no good or bad art it's not it's not competition mm. you're just doing it for yourself even if it's just making marks on a bit of paper if you think you're bad at art and in fact i did an art nurse about this yeah. people learn to be bad at art in school they're told that they're bad at it and you should never tell anyone they're bad at art mm. it's um you know, Picasso said that all children are artists and they learn not to be as they grow up because, you know, they're made to feel embarrassed about what they've done. Mm. You know, it's like people who tell folk, oh, you're, you're, you can't sing. Well, that person will never sing again and they'll never know the joy yeah. of just opening their lungs. And same if you tell someone they're bad at art, they never draw again and they never get that, you know, the happiness. You don't even have to draw. You can get inks and just make splodges. Yeah. You can make a really nice picture from from doing that. This you can is why Lego is having such an impact for adults. Exactly, for adults with Lego, and they are even producing now beautiful Lego boxes that are specifically designed for adults. That it's not just for adults pinching the kids' Lego anymore. Yeah. Yeah, and exactly. Lego would get you into flow state as well because yeah. it requires concentration. Mm. So, but you also have this sense of mastery. Once you come out of, you know, once you finish what you've done, you go, oh, look, I've made a thing. Even if it's, you know, it, it, you don't have to be good enough to be in the Met Museum. <laughs> you just, you just, it's, just the, it's just the doing of it. So that's why in the book I made specifically I, I created crafts that could be done by absolutely anyone and it's just for adults yeah that you know anyone with hands can make these mm-hmm. and the craft is associated with the psychological cure mm-hmm. so for example um if you can't get to sleep if you've got insomnia um one of the things that i was told that was very useful was this exercise where you're lying in bed you can't get to sleep mm-hmm. and you so you then imagine yourself in a completely white room wearing your favorite clothes and in the middle of the white room is this huge box and you just pick up everything that mm-hmm. is bothering you and put it in the box and it cardboard cutouts of people or actual people or mm-hmm. words or physical objects and until you run out of things to put in the box you literally can't think of anything else mm-hmm. and sometimes that alone sends you to sleep yeah. but then um, if you're still not asleep by that point you walk off from the bit where the box is and there's a comedy TNT plunger <laughs> and you blow up the box with this kind of Bugs Bunny plunger yeah uh, and then you go to sleep because you have mentally dealt with all the things mm. and so um the the craft associated with that is making a comedy plunger and explosion to keep on your bedside table to remind you to do the exercise yeah that's so clever. that is so clever and the idea is to cut up you know people are going to get their scissors to this book aren't they yeah so either there's d- different all different types of kind mm. of crafts so there's some coloring in there's some uh, paper cuttings, which you would need a scalpel for. Mm-hmm. 
uh, or there's just some templates that are make you can make like 3D objects like the the plunger. Um, and so it's I've made it so literally you know everything is named, everything is super easy. And I, you know, ran it by a few of my friends before I even sent it to the publisher to make sure they could make them. Because I didn't want it to be this thing where people got frustrated and didn't understand. And, you know, that's the opposite of what I want. So I wanted it to be pleasurable. Yeah. So there's even, even a, a, a paper doll of Eleanor Roosevelt that you can dress up to remind yourself that no one makes you feel inferior without your consent. Brilliant. Oh, Boo, thank you so much. Um, before I get you to tell everyone where they can find you and the book and everything, I'd love it if you sort of had a piece of advice for freelance. If someone is struggling with their mental health and they're listening and they're thinking, what kind of one thing would you say to them in the moment, perhaps, or something that's really worked for you that we haven't chatted about, perhaps? Is, is there a piece of sort of take-home advice you'd like yeah. to finish with? Stop. stop. Just stop. If you, I mean, I like to say I've had severe depression, mm. had multiple traumas, you know you don't have to it's not a competition you know whatever is whatever you are struggling with is unique to you and it's just as important as anybody else's struggle mm -hmm. so if you'd fractured your skull you would say to your client i'm sorry you know sorry i can't work for a couple of weeks i fractured my skull or i'm, I'm too sick to work yeah if you've got mental health problems you just for some reason keep struggling through mm. And you, you somehow make it less of a priority, but actually it's even more important than a skull fracture, to be honest, because your brain is where it all happens. Yeah. So if your brain isn't working, then you really need to stop. And what I did was um, I got myself on the NHS waiting list. It can take, well, at that then it took like eight months, probably over a year now. And, but at least you know it's coming in the meantime, you could go on Secure Nest. That's a, a open resource. Hmm. Um, you could, but but mainly, it's my main advice is just keep in mind: Am I meeting my needs? Mm -hmm. And if you're stressed out of your box and you're unhappy, then no, you're not meeting mm -hmm. your needs. And there's nothing wrong with saying to clients, "I need to. I've got to take two weeks off. I'm really sick." You don't have to tell them what it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true. Just say I'm not well. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, never apologise, never explain. Yeah. Just be, uh, you know, we obviously apologise that you can't do their work, but you say, I'm afraid I've got an injury, I'm not well, I have to take a couple of weeks off. And actually, you'll find that most people are incredibly sympathetic. They go, oh, God, of course, take two weeks if you're... So, and then you, you give, them, give them a boundary, say, I will start work again on X date, mm -hmm. so that they don't feel all at sea or they don't think they have to take on someone else. Um, if it's a massive deadline or something, well, maybe um, get another freelancer to take up your work for mm -hmm. the end of the deadline. There, it's not insurmountable. That's the other thing with freelancing is that you often think, oh, well, it's just me. I have to do everything. Gotcha. You know, and it's like some sort of self-flagellation where you just have to, <laughs> oh, my God, I'll just, I'll just do this other thing and I can't let people down. Yes, you can let people down. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not the end of the world. Like, it happens all the time. People let people down but you will be hired again. And it doesn't matter if it's not by that person. And actually, ultimately, most people are pretty, pretty aware of you know, mental health problems now. It's got a much better you know, uh, profile in the, in the media. So you may be surprised actually about how considerate employers are. Well, I've enjoyed this so much. I've, I'm 
I've learned so much, Boo. Thank you so much for being so open and helpful with your answers and, and being really sort of, you know, honest about things that you've experienced. Please do tell people where they can find the book, where they can find you, where they can find you on TikTok, all the things. Tell us, tell us how to find so you can find everything on boopatterson.com and that will be where uh, you'll, if you sign up to my mailing list, you'll be able to get notification of the uh, First Art Kit Art Nurse um, mm. subscription boxes and uh, my TikTok is just Bupat, at Boo Patterson. Mm -hmm. My Instagram is official Boo Patterson. And um, I hope to see you there. Thanks, Boo. Take care. Bye.